What a great blessing to be able to participate in the things that we've been participating in this morning. Know that the Lord has called us into his presence, has allowed us to come in behind the veil with Christ, who was our preacher before us, that he has, by his sacrifice, made us able to stand before the God of heaven and worship him. That's just an amazing blessing. I thank you for the men who've prepared songs and the thoughts before the Lord's Supper to help us get our minds and our hearts in the holy place where we where we reside with Jesus. That's the blessing we have as Christians, and we need to be constantly reminded of that. I'm so thankful for you for singing together with me and for praying together with me and for encouraging me. That's what we're here to do together. We're thankful for those who may be online with us. We're prayerful that we're an encouragement to you. But this lesson today really wants to call you to be present when we're present because this is where we, we need to be, to stir one another up to love and good works. Uh, this lesson was suggested. Uh, I want to I was going to hold off and preach a little bit later, but it's a great lesson to sort of lead off the year with. And since we're still in January, I thought this would be a good lesson for this. I also want to encourage those who are suggesting lessons that you are going to have them. Uh, I'm going to respond to that. If you have a suggestion for me, I would love to hear it. Uh, but someone asked me to preach about the importance of the first day of the week, and so I wanted to do that today. This is a lesson I preached before we left our old uh, meeting place over further up the road. So some of you may, may remember this, but there's been a lot of new uh, faces who've come along, and some still weren't meeting with us regularly then. We were still sort of post-COVID uh, in a greater way at that time. So I'm prayerful this lesson. Whether you've heard it before or not, we'll stir you to think about the importance of meeting on the first of the week. We certainly see that as an important part of uh, what was going on with the early church. In John chapter 20, it was the day on which the Lord resurrected. Uh, they ran to his tomb and found that he wasn't there. And then in verse 19 of John 20, he came in among the disciples who were gathered behind locked doors for fear of the Jews. And he, he breathed on them and said his peace should be with them. But they had this meeting on the first day of the week there, on the day of his resurrection. As our brother just read from Acts chapter 20, uh, later on into the spread of the gospel already, we're, we're deep into the missionary journeys of Paul. He's visiting the town of Troas, and they've met together on the first of the week to break bread together and to hear him preach this sermon. Uh, and God certainly sanctioned that meeting by resurrecting a young man who had fallen out of the window there and died. Uh, God was with them very clearly. I think Paul was even showing that as perhaps they've met for that purpose of remembering the resurrection and then there was a resurrection in their midst at the moment. Oh, I thought that was a beautiful uh, picture there in Acts 20. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. I'll go ahead and read these two verses. I think it's interesting as you see Paul is revealing a pattern here, something he's already talked with them about, but he's writing it down again. There's a clear pattern because he talks about things that are done in Corinth that are also done over on the mainland, over in, in Asia Minor, in Galatia. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given orders to the churches of Galatia, not one church, but several, you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as you may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. It just speaks to the fact that there was a common meeting of the saints on the first day of the week. Paul knew about this among the churches in Galatia. He knew about this in Corinth and was encouraging them to take a part in this uh, fellowship for the saints on this first day as they were gathered. And certainly, none of us have grown up in a world where people don't equate church and Sunday. <laughs> on the first day of the week, our personal practice, the enormous majority of those who claim to follow Christ, the practice is that you gather on the first day of the week that has been the case for centuries since the death of Jesus. And it's just an unbroken chain we can follow from the Scriptures on into uh, the Christian culture, if you will, 
of the world coming up through, through time since Jesus uh, died and resurrected. So it's certainly an important day. But I want to suggest to you there's a lot we can learn about how important it is from the Scriptures themselves. The first thing that we need to, to iron out, though, is what is exactly the first day of the week. Some will argue, well, we don't find Sunday in the Bible, so how do you know Sunday is the first day of the week? I've heard that argument before, actually. So uh, that's why I laid out this first part of the lesson this way. The first day of the week is Sunday. It is not Saturday. There are some who claim that Sunday is the Christian Sabbath. Uh, I don't like that phrase. I don't think there's really any Bible basis for that, but some people have that concept. But let's understand that Sabbath is the last day of the week. It is the seventh day. We see that really clearly. It doesn't take long to understand that biblically. If we go to Genesis 2, not even very far into the Bible story at all, uh, the Bible record, perhaps better said, Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, On the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. So God himself rested on the seventh day. In Exodus chapter 12, though, he hands down a commandment. Exodus chapter 20, I'm sorry. Uh, I was thinking of our Passover uh, reading this morning. Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, he told the Israelites, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant nor your female servant, nor your cattle nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The word Sabbath, that is the root for this word that's found here for rest literally means rest. It follows six days of work. But God gave them a Sabbath. And he reiterates in Deuteronomy chapter 5, we're not going to read that, that he actually gave them the Sabbath, the day in which he rested. He gave them as a national day of rest because they had been slaves in Egypt where they got no rest, where they were overworked. And he wanted to show that he was a God of rest. And so he taught them about his own rest in Genesis and then gave them a rest as they came out as his nation uh, coming out of Egypt. The Jews absolutely are an authority on the subject of the Sabbath. Romans chapter 3, verse 2 says they were the ones who uh, were, were given the oracles of God, and so they have kept this concept from Genesis forward. On Jewish calendars, Sabbath is always the last day. And Greek and Latin, I think, is interesting. There is some linguistic and perhaps cultural evidence toward this concept as well. Seventh day is always a form of Sabbath in Greek and Latin. In Greek, it's sabato, and in Latin, it's sabatum. Uh, and I don't speak Greek or Latin, so I hope that didn't hurt your ears too badly. But they do have something else interesting happening on their words for the first day. And I just looked this up again because I was shocked that this is true, and I'm shocked every time I look it up. But in modern Greek, the word for the first day of the week is kyriaki, which is the word for Lord. In Latin, we see that in dominica. And we also see it in Portuguese and Spanish, Latin derivative words today, domingo. All of those are forms of the word that mean to rule or to govern or the Lord. And I think it's fascinating that John himself in Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 says he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Most people equate that with being this was a Sunday in which he received the revelation. It's quite possible. I would say every day is the Lord's day in some special sense, but perhaps in a very significant way, he was revealing this was the first of the week when he received this particular set of revelations. 
Whatever that is, it means that Saturday just doesn't fit the mold for being the first of the week. It's the last day. It's a day for resting after many days of work. Biblically, the first day follows the Sabbath. And so in our calendars, we would call that Sunday in English at least. Matthew chapter 28, verse 1, when the Sabbath had ended very early on the first of the week, the ladies come to the tomb and they find that the stone's been rolled away and Jesus is not there. The same thing in Mark as well. Very clearly lined out, this is the day after the Sabbath day has passed. So we're talking about Sunday not being Saturday. But let's also be clear that the first day of the week is not Monday. It's a global economy now that we are a part of, and so Monday seems like the first day. In fact, I have a really hard time finding agendas that I can use that I'm comfortable with because they all start on Monday. And I get confused a couple of weeks in. I'm like, okay, this left column, that should be Sunday, but it's Monday. And so I usually get stickers and change them all or just make my own agendas, what I've been doing the last couple of years. That'll start on Sunday instead of on Monday. Most agendas you buy Saturday and Sunday are split together because they're the weekend. They're the sort of leftover days. And so you're not going to do a lot on those because everyone's thinking of a global business economy. But Monday then sort of in our culture feels like, well, that's the first day of the week. The rest is the weekend. And we'll talk about that in just a second. In fact, the International Organization for Standardization, called the ISO because it actually is from Geneva, Switzerland, where the word order is different, they have officially declared since 1988 that Monday is the first day of the week. So take that. (laughs) They tell us what the first day of the week is. Russia, who is officially an atheist country, they have done away with the need for God, they believe. They accepted that system. So all their calendars actually begin on Monday, not just like our agendas, but every calendar, like a wall calendar. Most of ours still begin on Sunday. Theirs begin on Monday because that's officially the first day of the week as they've adopted it in their government system. And so a lot of us, though, end up, because of that cultural aspect, seeing Sunday as the weekend. I try to be very careful about that. I don't consider Sunday the weekend. I use the word week begin. (laughs) Friday and Saturday are the weekend. (laughs) You know, once you get off work on Friday, you've entered officially the weekend, if you will, and Saturday is a day of rest at the end of the week. But Sunday is where things begin. And I'm very uh, specific in my prayers on Sunday mornings at home and with myself and, and among you if I have opportunity to thank God for allowing us to begin the week in His presence. And we need to think of it that way. We begin each day in His presence. We begin each week in His presence gathered together with those who are desirous of doing His will. Monday is not the first day of the week. Sunday is. And we need to think of it that way and be just straightforward about that. Monday is the first work day for most people. But in first century Rome, there are a lot of people that worked on Sundays. That may be the reason for the meeting we just read about in Acts chapter 20 and verse 7 being at night. And maybe why Eutychus was so tired that he fell asleep during this, if I've been hearing the Apostle Paul preach, I'm going to fall asleep. But he might have been just worn out from working all day. There's a lot who suggest that. It may be why in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 21, Paul says that many have already overfed and even become drunk at the Lord's Supper, and others came and had nothing. Maybe that they had been there all day waiting for these who are working to come in, and they had just finished off everything that was there for this communal meal. Whatever it is, the Monday is typically, uh, Sunday a lot of places is, is still a work day. In Brazil, Monday is called Second Market. That's the way you say the, the name of the day, Segunda Feira. It's Second Market, which indicates that the first day, the first market day, It's actually Sunday. It's a work day. In most of the third world, most of the emergent economies, people need to work on Sundays. They need to work every day of the week so they can make ends meet and keep the the economy going forward. So for a lot of the world, Sunday means work. 
But in our minds and in our hearts, we need to see Sunday as the first day of the week. And so the first day in the Bible is not based on our modern culture. It's not based on a global economy. First day of the week is Sunday, and we just need to learn to see it that way and to hold it and treasure it that way. But since we don't find the word Sunday in the Bible, we need to do a little bit of work. And so we discover that the day after the last day is the first day of the week is the way the Bible refers to it. From then forward, it's going to be the Lord's Day, perhaps Domingo or Dominica. In our case, maybe we'd change that U to an O. It's the Son's Day. Uh, that would be a beautiful way to think of it, perhaps. But we're clearly talking about what we call Sunday when we think of the first day of the week in the Bible. And so, let's look at why that's important. <laughs> we've, we've, de we've defined when the first day of the week is, but what's the big deal about the first day of the week? Well, there's a lot, biblically, it's a big deal about. First, the first day of the week was first in creation. God began the physical creation on Sunday. You won't typically think about that, but that is true. That was the first day of the week. On the first day, he did such and such. Well, we're not thinking about that necessarily as being the first days of the week, except that's when the week was established. It was seven days in which God worked, really six and then a day of rest. But read with me Genesis 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, so the evening and the morning were the first day. Literally, the first day of the week. For, the, for a long time, the days are just numbered first day, second day, third day, and then Sabbath, rest that's the day on the 7th when God gave this special significance. So the first day was first in creation. God began the physical creation on the first day. The first day of all time was a Sunday. I think that's kind of cool to think about that. God then worked over the next five days, finishing all of his work of creation, so that when we read in Genesis 2, he had done all of the work, and the idea is all this creative work, and he took a rest on the seventh day. He ceased from making new things is the idea. Not that he rested, because if he rested, we wouldn't be here. Uh, he gives to all life, breath, and all things. He continues sustaining life. In fact, Jesus used that argument. My father works on the Sabbath, and I work on the Sabbath. It's not that he just completely quit doing anything, but he quit creating. And so it was this rest day that came about on the seventh day. What that means is that the eternal purpose of God was set in motion on a Sunday. That seems kind of insignificant, perhaps, but think about this for a moment. Ephesians chapter 1, we look into the New Testament where we get sort of um, the plan that God was making comes more to light to us once we see the end that, uh, that he was going toward with Christ. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God had plans before the world was founded. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, Peter mentions the same kind of thing. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. He indeed, this is Christ, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. And Peter's talking about Christ being the Lamb. This was foreordained before the foundation. There were things that God, in his eternal mind and his eternal love for us, already decreed before he laid the foundation of the world. But in Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and following, 
we find out that Jesus is involved in the creation. He's the maker of all things. Starting at verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. And He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He may have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in Him all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. All of that was set in motion the day He made the physical creation come about. That began on the Sunday. So all things that were made through Him and for Him was activated. This plan was activated when He began that work on a Sunday, the first day of the week. And Jesus, of course, arose on Sunday. I made an allusion to that in Matthew 28. I'd like to read those verses quickly here. Matthew 28, verses 1 through 6. And there are several things that are important about the fact that he resurrected on a Sunday in terms of this eternal plan being worked out. Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. Jesus resurrected on the first day of the week, very clearly. His resurrection proved once and for all, that he is the Son of God. Romans chapter 1 and verse 4, he's declared to be the Son of David according to the flesh, but by the Holy Spirit, through the power of resurrection, he's declared to be the Son of God. It's his resurrection then that brings faith and hope to us. We have hope in God and faith in God who resurrected Jesus from the dead. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 1 verse 20 and 21. This plan that he lined out before the foundation of the world, God was able to carry out. And he began to put that all in action, as far as, as we're concerned at least, relative to us, when he made the creation on the first day of the week and when he brought Jesus back on the first day of the week. His resurrection is essentially the first fruits, and that is how this plays to us so importantly and why really we give such a significance to the first day of the week, why this became such a significant thing early on among the Christians. 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 20. Uh, 20 through 23. Christ is risen from the dead. This was, as I said, on the first day of the week, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one in his own order, Christ the first fruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming. We'll see this concept of first fruits again a little bit later. But you think about the importance we give to this idea. Because even in baptism, as Paul lines it out in Romans chapter 6, baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. We are risen with Him to walk in newness of life. Something that began with Him and for Him on the first of the week. We picture that, and then we come together on the first of the week to remember that every first of the week, as we've done this morning already. 
And the fact is that because of that, we have a high priest that cannot die. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 23 through 25, the old priesthood was incapable of continually atoning for our sins because death would intervene. The priests themselves were weak and would die. Some of them, all of them, were sinners. <laughs> they had to offer a sin offering for themselves and then for the people, and then they would die. So some of them in that lineage weren't even good people. They weren't the kind of person that you'd want to take your sins to, to have them atoned for. Jesus is a perfect high priest. He sympathizes with our weaknesses, and yet he wasn't weak like us in the sense that when he died, he came back. He could not be held by death. And that celebrated on the first of the week. So salvation was first proclaimed on a Sunday. First proclaimed by those who saw that Jesus had risen as he promised. The women went and told some of the disciples. The disciples went and told some of the apostles. They didn't believe. Jesus came and said, it is me. Look here. They still were, were doubting. Thomas, even a week later, on the first of the week, came and finally declared Jesus my Lord and my God when he saw the holes in his hands. That was already on the second first of the week. But the actual proclamation of the gospel after Jesus' resurrection and assumption was on a Sunday, on the first of the week. In Leviticus chapter 23, I mentioned we'd come back to this concept of the first fruits. Leviticus chapter 23, we get the instructions concerning the Passover, really, and then what happens after that. Uh, when, you, when you get to Pentecost, where the, where the first sermons are going to be preached of the, the gospel. But Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16. You shall count for yourselves from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. This is the first fruits sheaf that's being waved on the day that Jesus is resurrecting. You count seven Sabbaths. Count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath. Then you shall offer a new grain offering to the Lord. On that day is the day of Pentecost. That is 50 days after a Sunday, or in other words, you're counting seven weeks, and it's, or it's from a Sabbath, that is. You're naturally going to begin then on a first of the week, on a Sunday. Pentecost was always a Sunday. The preaching of the gospel for the first time was done on Pentecost this, uh, this first of the week. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when Pentecost had fully come, we're told there, uh, that is, it's on Sunday during the daytime part of the day now, before that day, they had been told to wait in Jerusalem, tarry in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father should come on you, they were told at the end of Luke, as Jesus was, was going up. Ten days later was going to be the Pentecost. They didn't know that's when it was going to come. But on that day, they received the promise, as Peter lays out, uh, that we've received this, what you now see and hear. And they preached the gospel to 3,000, to many more than that, but 3,000 who received it and were saved. So the church actually began on the first day of the week, on a Sunday. Jesus had met with his disciples. We mentioned that in John chapter 20. There are two times when he comes together with the disciples behind closed doors. It's still very new. Uh, his death and his resurrection, they're still fearful of the Jews, trying to uh, have some repercussions on those who had been following Jesus. So we see twice in John 20. They were told to go on and meet him in Galilee. We see them do that later. But two times John registers their meeting on the first day of the week and very specifically uses that terminology. The first meeting of the church, I already mentioned there in Acts 2, as you get 3,000 baptized souls now, the church is meeting together for the first time. Then they continue meeting day after day after that. But then we see the church in Troas as we began our lesson in Acts chapter 20. They, they met together on the first of the week to break bread. And then the example of the Corinthians and Galatians in 1 Corinthians 16, just overwhelming evidence in the text. And really, there's ample extra-biblical evidence 
to demonstrate the habitual gathering together of the early church on the first day of the week, on Sunday. Over and over we see this in extra-biblical texts written from, from the time period right after the apostles and on through history. So the first day was first in creation, was first in salvation, was first in practice among the early, early Christians. And so what does that mean for us? Why is this such a big deal? Well, it should be first for us as well in terms of our planning. That's where the Christian ought to find himself when we're thinking about the first day. Now, how do I plan for this? In reality, we plan for almost everything else, especially in this country. We are, so we've got whole websites dedicated to organization and planning. In fact, the agendas, these planners that I keep trying to buy that start on Monday, there's all kinds of different ways you can do it because we want to be so organized. We, we plan for work and for school, don't we? We set an alarm usually at least the night before we're planning for the next day, but a lot of times we'll set an alarm that'll be for the whole year. That'll get me up at the same time every day so I'm not late for work or for school. Sometimes we're planning for school by doing good in school now so that we can get into a better school later. We're planning all of this ahead of time. We don't want to miss out on the important things. For sports, it's really planning when you're practicing. You're planning to get better. You're planning to be able to move up in the ranks. You're planning as a team to be able to do better. You're training together. Some people who don't play sports, they plan ahead so they can watch. I've got a friend who's crazy about the World Cup. I'm there with him. He's already planning what he's going to do in 2026 when the World Cup comes to the United States. Several stadiums. He knows where they are. He knows where to get tickets, and he's just waiting for the day. He's planning for that because he doesn't want to miss out. All those things are, are interesting to be a part of. For vacations, we save money up. We do research. We, we figure out uh, how far we can go in the time we've got, and we'll travel long distances. All of that takes planning. For parties, we prepare, we plan, we send out invites. We do all of the stuff we need to do. We plan ahead. Those things are not really important, though. They're fun. They're a part of life. They're, they're, they're important in the essence that we have fellowship in those things, but they're not what's most important. And we put such a priority on time, on our energy, on money that we spend for all of those things so we don't miss out. But how much do we plan for the first day of the week? What happens, because in our mind, Sunday is the weekend, and it's the second day even of the weekend, we've done everything on the first couple parts of the weekend, and then Sunday becomes our day where we sort of slack off and rest. It is a great day for rest. I'm not saying don't rest. What I'm saying is don't forget God in your resting. <laughs> on Sabbath, as the Jews rested, they rested so they could celebrate God. <laughs> and that ought to be what is in our mindset instead of, okay, well i got to be prepared for Monday now, so I better take it easy on Sunday because I did too much stuff on Friday and Saturday, and now my weekend really needs to be a day of rest. And so Sunday ends up getting our leftovers. We don't think of it that way, but sometimes that's really what happens. We've got no energy left because we've been doing so much ever since we got off work on Friday and our busy, busy schedules on Saturday that we're exhausted when we come in on Sunday. And we have no energy for real worship. Either we sleep through worship, sometimes that happens, or we just can't even go. We just stay at home because we're just too exhausted to give ourselves. Because why? Because we didn't really plan to be there on the first of the week. We, we're just going to be there. It's what we do. We didn't plan for it. <laughs> and so we wouldn't do that with other things that we find important. We plan for those. Sometimes it's happened, and I've, I've struggled with this with brethren. They make scheduling errors. You scheduled something. Oh, that's right during worship. How, do, how was I not seeing that when I scheduled that? I don't know. Maybe you weren't planning to be at worship. <laughs> Plan that first. And then you won't make those scheduling errors that make it so you can't make it to worship. Now, understand, 
Emergencies happen. Things come up. If you're serving somebody, sometimes that's going to take a, a priority for a moment. There's a brother I dearly love who consistently runs late. Always late <laughs> to everything. He's a great guy. And once I began to challenge him, I'm like, you need to, you need to schedule yourself better. Well, it turns out he was still running late and he was planning, but he's the kind of person who, if somebody had a need, he was the first one to be there. Almost every time he was late for worship, he was stopping by somebody's house to give them a ride, seeing if they needed food. He was checking on somebody whose car was broken down. Almost every single time when I would say, look, you're late again, he'd be like, well, this person had a need. And I began to recognize, wow, I need to be more like him. Uh, I'm worried too much about the time and not about serving. But there is a need to plan so that just runabout things don't, don't take over the time that we're supposed to be together with our brethren. The Lord wants us to be here. If we have too many scheduling errors, we're not planning properly for the first of the week. For most of us, even our work should not interfere with worshiping God on Sunday. There are some legitimate cases where, where work is a service for another person, and, and I need to be there. It was an interesting thing that the Adventists, who aren't allowed to work on, on Sabbath, would be nurses or firefighters or policemen, because those are service jobs, and they saw those as necessary. They would see those sort of as the priest working on the Sabbath and not violating the Sabbath because they were uh, intermediating for people's needs. And so that was sort of a way they could see that out of having to, to set aside the Sabbath if they were working at those kind of jobs. I think some of that is legitimate. There may be a need, a real need, but for most of us, our work should not interfere. And if we know ahead of time that our work is going to interfere, most of us have an opportunity to make that change so that the work doesn't end up interfering. The great brother who years ago served as an elder at one of the first congregations I was part of, and he had worked at International Harvester uh, back when it was in its heyday in Louisville, Kentucky. And they were going to a six-day work week that included Sundays. And uh, he talked to his immediate supervisor and said, I can't work Sundays. I've got a commitment on Sundays. I'm not going to be able to be here. And the supervisor said, well, you're going to get fired. He says, I'm sorry, I can't work Sundays. Is there somebody over you I can talk to? And he said, yeah, you can go talk to my manager. So he went and talked to that manager. The manager said, you got to work Sundays. Everybody's got to work Sundays. It's got to be rotated in. If you don't, you're going to be fired. He said, well, I'm not going to work Sundays. Is there somebody over you? He made it to the president of the company. When he went to the president of the company, he said, I will work the other six days of the week for you, any hours you want me to. I will not be here on Sundays. I have a commitment to the Lord and to his people. And that, that president of the company said, you're not somebody who will ever lie to me or steal to me. You can have Sundays off. You come in when the, when the hours are good for it, but I want you here because you're the kind of person I need. And that kind of commitment showed through. A lot of other brethren were, were intimidated to stand up for what they believed in up having to work on Sundays because it's just what their job required. They needed to feed their families and they would make these excuses, but he wouldn't settle for that. And he was a great example as an elder and a real encouragement to me when early on as a new Christian, this wasn't something that was just a part of my life already, so I didn't think about it as, as much as I needed to. And he encouraged me to just plan for the first of the week and really for midweek assemblies as well. Nothing really should interfere with our being together. Uh, the church has prioritized this time. We've, we've worked together as a congregation to set aside the time that is most convenient for the biggest number of people, and that's why we meet when we do. Occasionally, we, we revisit that question and find out, is there a better time for the majority? Because we want this to be a convenient time on the day that the Lord has set aside so that most of us can be here, or all of us, really, is the plan. There was a congregation I worked with in Brazil in a really small town. They only had five members. One of their members worked this really weird shift where he would rotate every Sunday the hours he was going to be on. Sometimes it was in the morning, then he would go on to the week where he'd be in the afternoon, then he'd go on to the week where he's in the evening. 
And the brethren were struggling about what to do. And basically my encouragement was, well, love demands that you make it so that he can be with you. Well, we have to keep changing our worship here. I said, yeah, but is it a problem for the rest of you? No, but if we tell people we meet at a certain time, don't worry about the other people. You guys are meeting together as a congregation. The other people that are interested, they'll come. You can study with them during the week, but he needs to be there for worship and he can't make it two of the three times because of when you're meeting. So they changed their meeting time to be on a rotation with his schedule and he was able to meet with them. That's unusual. It's not going to happen in most places, especially here, but it does happen. But love would demand that we, that we try to work that out as a local congregation. That was just something special their group needed to do. But for most of us, there's really no excuse if we're not able to make it. It just means we didn't plan like we should have. And Jesus was really clear about why this situation really comes about. I want to read from Mark chapter 4. He's not speaking about setting aside time for the first of the week, but he's talking about what hampers our fruitfulness as the seed is planted within us and as we begin to grow. And he's been talking in this parable of the sower about some seed that doesn't even get in, doesn't even penetrate. Satan takes it away. The birds have eaten the seed before it even gets into the soil. Some has received the word. They're so excited about it. But then tribulation comes or persecution because of the word. So the sun came out, was hot, and burned up the, the plant that had no root. There were others that I think this would sort of apply to the condition we're talking about here. Mark 4, verses 18 and 19. There are ones sown among thorns. They're ones who hear the word and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. We can prioritize everything else except the Lord and believe in some way that, well, we're doing this because we need to be serving and this is the way we can serve, but we're not serving the Lord. We're not putting Him first. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, desires for other things can enter in and simply choke out if we're not preparing ourselves. And it's not just really a once a week kind of thing. Certainly, I'm talking about planning for the first of the week, but we ought to be planning to serve God every day making time for study of His Word, making time for prayer. And that habit will grow in us so that it won't even feel like we've done anything special to make sure that we're planning for the first of the week. It's just, this is who we are and what we do, and it's just part of our lives. Early on, Christopher used to ask us while we were riding in the car, uh, why are we going to church again? We already went to church. And at first, we thought he was testing us. And we began to realize he was just a child who was curious and wanted to know why. And we finally said, because this is what we do. We serve the Lord and other people from church are going to be there and we're going to be together with them. And he went, oh, <laughs> that was it. It wasn't a challenge. It was, it was looking for information. And from that point forward, he never asked us again. Sometimes we ask, you know, well, why do I got to go again? I already checked the box on Sunday. Why am I going on Tuesday? That's what we do. <laughs> we love the Lord. We want to know him better. We want to encourage those around us better. And so we're going to be here every time we can. And we ought to ought to lament when we can't be together with the brethren. I wish we could be together every single day. It's impractical. It's not commanded. But what a blessing that would be. And I try to get with as many as you, of you as I can during the week because it's really good for me. It's encouraging for me to see you. But on the first of the week, that is a commandment from the Lord. And we need to be planning for that and making sure we're together for it. Sometimes what happens is we just offer to the Lord what's left. Well, it's Sunday, I guess. I don't have anything else to do. Uh, Steelers aren't playing this right now or whatever, whatever it may be. I guess I can go in. And so think about in the Old Testament, though. As they were bringing their sacrifices to God, there was something that was planned about that. They didn't just show up with any old animal they caught on the way going up to the temple. Oh, it's a good day for a sacrifice. Oh, look, there's a, there's a lame deer over here. I'll drag that thing up there. And it wasn't the way they did it. They had animals that they had to keep spotless. 
some of them they had to invest in and raise so they would be ready for the event of these sin offerings or, or grain offerings or these peace offerings. It had to be a prepared sacrifice. And in Malachi, God reminds them very strongly that he will not accept their leftovers. Malachi chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And here's why this hurt God's feelings, if you will. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts, to you priests who despise my name? Yet you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offer defiled food on my altar, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? Can you believe that the priests in Malachi's day were giving God the leftovers? <laughs> and saying, well, surely he'll accept this. I mean, we are, we're, after all, we're bringing sacrifices. Isn't that what God wants? No, he doesn't want that. He wants obedience. <laughs> That's what he wants. But they weren't being obedient even in the sacrifices. They were doing the externals, but they weren't offering from a heart that wanted to serve God. And they certainly hadn't prepared their sacrifice. They hadn't planned for it. They just took whatever they had on hand. And we need to be careful that we don't do that, even emotionally and certainly spiritually, as we're bringing our worship before God. God insists that we, that we worship together, that we assemble together. There are some people who plan things specifically during worship. It's not just an oversight. It's, I plan to do this during worship. I'm reminded of a time in Brazil when the national team was going to be playing locally. It was, it was an honor to get to see the Brazilian national team for Brazilian soccer. That's soccer, by the way. Soccer fans, that's a big deal. They, you know, they would travel the world, and once in a while they'd be in your city in, at home playing. And it was a big deal, and it was going to happen during one of the worship periods. And some visitors had come in from out of town, some Christians from out of town, and the local brethren said, oh, this is a real treat. You never get to see the national team. We'll take you. And took them, Christians from a very small town where they hardly knew any other Christians, had come to Sao Paulo where there were lots of us gathered, over 100 gathered for a worship service, and where are these visitors that we heard were in town? Oh, well, so-and-so and so-and-so took them to the soccer game today. That was heartbreaking. And these brethren missed out on an opportunity. Uh, sad to say, all of them have fallen away at this point. It's not really a shock that they hadn't been engaged as they should have. But the ones that they had come to visit and could have been encouraged and built up by these brethren they could have gotten to build relationships with as they worship God together, and the ones who were willing to plan for this ahead of time, to take these brethren away from an opportunity to be together with, with the, the people of the Lord. God insists that we assemble. I want to read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. I want to look at the things we miss when we don't assemble together. I know there are some cases where you know, we have people with chronic ailments, where there are difficulties that, that keep from being able to assemble. I would still encourage the, at, at the, any possibility of being together, this is going to be the best use of your time. If you're going to suffer pain and with your chronic ailments, suffer together with us. Let us bear part of that burden. I know it's impractical in some cases, but, but when it's possible, this is going to be the greatest blessing of your week. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. Here's what the Hebrew writer says. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Think about things that we miss out on when we decide not to be here. And I want to tell you that if you haven't planned to be here in some small way, at least you have decided not to be here. We miss out on drawing near to God with others. He has called us into this fellowship. What a blessing it is. We miss out on being stirred up to love and good works. I want to tell you the times where I've been sick and been unable to come, they've been really uh, depressing times for me. I didn't get the stirring up, even watching online, when, since that became a possibility, it's still not the same as being together with the brethren and sharing in the fellowship. Uh, you're just not going to be stirred up in the same way online as you are being here together. You're not going to be able to stir anybody else up if you're online. That's, we don't even know who's, who's listening in. Later on, maybe we can see. Uh, but that doesn't stir us up. We, we're grateful for those who are online. I'm not saying don't listen in. But I'm saying there's just a different effect of our being together. Here, the text says you get strength against wavering when you come together. It's hard to, to have that strength against wavering when I'm by myself. That's an Old Testament concept, that there's strength in numbers, and we need each other. God made a wife for Adam. It wasn't good that he should be alone. He made a nation of his people, and he's made a church of his people in the New Testament. We need each other for strength against wavering. Simply put, you miss out on obeying the Lord. He says, don't forsake assembling one another together. We need to be doing that. If it's at all possible, we need to be here. We need to be planning to be here. We miss out on considering one another. We are thinking of ourselves. And sometimes even when we're here, you'll hear people that have come with the wrong attitude leave saying, well, I didn't get anything out of that. <laughs> what were you thinking about? Think about the Lord. Think about the other people that are around you. That's who you've come together with. We can worship on our own. and We each ought to be worshiping on our own. God has designed it that we should come together to consider one another and stir one another up to love and good works as we worship Him. In both Ephesians 5, 19 and Galatians 6, you have this concept of, of building one another up, of bearing each other's burdens and sharing in the work of the Lord in teaching and admonishing one another through songs and hymns and spiritual songs, through the, the bearing of each other's burdens. And how are we going to know what those are if we don't know each other? Sometimes one of the complaints that comes is, well, we, we just feel kind of cold to each other. We feel distant. How are we going to fix that if we're never around each other? We have to get to know each other. And to do that, we've got to be here. And sometimes we've got to stick around afterward or come early so we can talk about what's going on in each other's lives. So that when we do have an issue that needs to be dealt with, it's not a bunch of strangers trying to help me deal with it. It's people that love me, that I know love me, that have expressed their love. People that I love and have expressed love for that I can open up to and say, look, I'm really struggling and I know you love me enough to bear this burden with me. We can't do that with strangers. One of the problems our brethren met when they were teaching in Bratislava, Slovakia, when I was first converted, is for a couple of years they didn't know the language and they had to work with a translator. And so people would be converted and they would have really deep issues they were working through. They didn't want to talk about it with this stranger that's not a Christian, that was just this guy who was being paid to translate. Once the brethren there learned the language, they were able to have real relationships and develop and understand the needs of the people. So the last three years of their work there were so much better than the first two since they built actual relationships with the brethren. Uh, I just say that because sometimes we treat each other like we don't speak the same language, and we just, oh, the person I see once in a while on Sunday, or, you know, uh, I haven't made a commitment to being together with my brethren. We miss out on that, especially if we're not just planning to be here with each other, and being around each other, and encouraging one another. 
So Sunday, the first of the week, ought to be first in our practice and in our agenda and our planning. If something else is going to interfere with our plans to be here, that thing ought to be forfeited and not our meeting with the saints. And some people have said, well, it's only one Sunday out of 52. You're going to miss one Sunday. Now, that shows a heart that is not willing to make a commitment. If, I, if I'm saying, oh, I can just miss one. When uh, we used to let Christopher spend time with my parents when we still lived in Louisville, they would say sometimes, well, he's not getting anything out of going to worship with you anyway. He's just a baby. What is he's not even going to notice it? And you'll take him the other 51 times. Say, well, we're going to take him 52 times this year. We'll come to get him. Like, you don't want to bring him, we'll come to get him. They didn't understand that commitment. And I tell you, training a child up in the way he should go, that's part of it. As his was seeing that every week. Why are we going again? This is what we do. We are Christians and we're serving God who's asked us to do this. It, it becomes what we do and who we are. And we just need to make that part of our planning. We never ought to forfeit the meeting of the saints for something else that's just come up. We can get around that unless it's just an emergency that's, uh, that's unavoidable. So it ought to be first in our planning. So as we think about the importance of the first day of the week, the first of the week is Sunday. There's no doubts about that. Biblically, it's just called the first of the week, but that's what we're talking about is the day we call Sunday. It was first in creation. God began all of this eternal purpose he had on a Sunday. It was first in salvation. That's when the Christ resurrected. That's when the word was preached first. It was on a, on a Sunday, on the first of the week. And it was first in practice through, through the ages among uh, all Christians. This is what God laid out that he wanted us to do. So for us, it ought to be first in our planning. I'm grateful that you planned to be here today, and I'm thankful to see you. And I'm planning to see you next week, God willing, if we're still alive and God allows for that. And we'll just go ahead and let's plan for the rest of the year. Go ahead and mark off all the first days of the week. They're going to be with brethren, if at all possible. That is what needs to be done. If you plan for it now, when things come up, you can arrange those around the plans you already have. That's the way we typically do anyways. We're making our schedule for the year, right? Let's make Sunday first in planning. That'll show something about where your heart is. Our God and his will for you truly what is of first importance in your life. You may be looking at your calendar and seeing what you've got planned and realize, you know, God hasn't really been first and foremost in my life. I say I'm a Christian. I say I love God. But what I've really got emphasized here will show me where my heart really is. Maybe I ought to just go ahead and rethink the way I'm planning out my year. And just go ahead and plan for what you're going to be doing with God and with the brethren for the whole year. What a blessing that'll be as you look at that, as you're reminded, I've got commitments. And people have commitments to me and to the Lord on those days that we'll be together. What a blessing that is. You can't have that commitment if you haven't first committed yourself to Christ. We want to help you first off with that. If you're not a Christian and you need to, to come to the Lord for the first time, you need to confess your sins and be repentant of those and have those washed away in baptism. We want to help you do that today. If you're online listening and you want to talk about how you can, you can do that, please reach out to us and let us know. But if you've already done that and you realize that Jesus is just not a priority and, and Sunday being together with the saints is just not a priority and you want to help correct that, if you want our encouragement, if you want me to help you with that, whatever we can do, we're together for that purpose. We're glad you're here today. Maybe this has helped you to think about that a little more fervently. We want to encourage you to keep doing that. Whatever your need might be, why don't you make it known to us? We're going to stand and